0: mini-break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 14th. On today's show, I want to talk about the return of the Kings on the ATP Tour, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic kicking off their 2021 clay court campaigns with straight set victories in Monte Carlo. Of course, they weren't the only two playing at the year's first ATP Masters 1000 event on clay. I want to talk about all of Wednesday's action preview. Thursday's matches there as well. There's also WTA event in Charleston. We continue to see young rising next-gen WTA talent have success early here in this clay court season. We'll break down that action. And then I want to touch on a couple of the challenger matches we saw unfold on Wednesday. David Gertler, our crack Rackets contributor, I would say our ATP challenger reporter here at CR, joins me on the Great Shot podcast to talk about last week. Two events to recap everything that's happened so far this week and preview what we expect to happen in the rest of the week's action. So that is, you know, very challenger centric. I would say only challenger centric podcast if that's the sort of content you're looking for. Be sure to hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. But, you know, there are a couple of matches we talked about superficially that I didn't get the chance to dive deep into. This is what the mini break was built for to take a deep dive into my favorite matches of the day. A couple of them happened at the challenger level so again at the end of this podcast want to spend some time talking about those matches but of course the reason we're able to recap everything that happens day in day out throughout the tennis world is because of the support we get from all of you listeners because of the support we get from our crack rackets patreon family and then sincerely because of the support we get from our friends at midwest sports you guys know the deal by now so i'll keep it simple the best gear at the best prices all can be found at midwest sports You use our promo code CR15, you'll get a pretty cool deal alongside of, uh, you know, obviously an upgrade in your equipment. You'll also let them know that we sent you there. MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. With that in mind, Let's get into Wednesday's action because, again, two of our top three players in the ATP rankings kicking off their clay court campaigns. And that's just weird to say. Since, what, 2005, the top two players have either been, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, or Murray. Now Daniil Medvedev's ranked number two in the world. And I'm not saying he hasn't earned that right. I'm just saying it's still weird to wrap my mind around the fact that you see both Djokovic and Nadal in the draw. and They're not just unequivocally the top two seats next-gen's inching closer and closer, but of course, entering the clay court season, Rafa's the guy to beat. Djokovic is probably the guy who's most likely, if anyone can beat him, you may say, oh, an informed Dominic team, but of course, that question, can anyone beat Rafa, is something we will certainly be debating over the course of the next six weeks. For now, let's just focus on the action in Monte Carlo to start, and let's begin by discussing Novak Djokovic's straight-set victory over Yannick Sinner. Sinner, of course, the highest-ranked player in the world under the age of 20. Following his run to the final of the Miami Masters, he's now up to number 19 in the world and you know certainly has played more matches here in 2021, then Novak Djokovic. Djokovic playing his first match today since winning the Australian Open title, but Djokovic looked awfully good here to kick off his Clay Court season, and it's worth remembering. And by the way, I feel like I don't talk that frequently about Nadal, Djokovic, Federer outside of when they're competing in the Grand Slams, and respectfully, the reason I don't is because what else is there to add to the conversation? Nadal and Federer have won 20 Grand Slams. Novak Djokovic has won 18. He's won the most Masters of all time, spent the most weeks at number one. I've given my opinion before. I think his best is better than any other men's tennis player I've ever seen on a tennis court. Like they're awesome. That's the analysis. Anyone who's trying to nitpick their game or say, you know, I actually see a 2.6% decline in the way Djokovic hits through his backhand now, or man, that second serves a weakness for Djokovic. It's very attackable. It's like all of these things have existed since 2008. And so that's why, you know, again, there's not that much you can learn from a standard Novak-Djokovic match that you didn't already know, but the Djokovic Sinner matchup is a particularly relevant one because we don't have a large sample size of it because it is a new test being brought up for Novak Djokovic on the ATP Tour. It's also just always interesting to see how Novak Djokovic competes on the clay. Of course, you look at his success on hard courts and grass. You know, he's a five-time Wimbledon champion. He's won nine Australian Opens. He's won three U.S. Opens. He's won countless Tour Finals and countless Masters events on hard courts. That's why He's the all-time Masters events champion, but you know what else he's really, really fucking good at? Clay court tennis. You look for Novak Djokovic over the course of his career, and just a number for all of you listeners. I mean, we did these podcasts back mid-pandemic. I went back in time and looked at the best seasons in ATP history, and traditionally. If you're having an elite of the elite seasons, you're winning at least 80% of your total matches. Usually it's in that 85 to 90% range. The best of the best hit 90. We're talking, you know, 2015 Novak Djokovic or 2006, 2007 Roger Federer best of the best. But Novak Djokovic for his career, and again, we can just filter out all non-ATP level matches because he's played over 1,000 ATP level matches at this point. He's won 83% of his career matches. He's 944 and 191. By the way, that's freaking nuts. He's 613 and 113 on, uh, on hard courts, excuse me, an 84% win percentage. He, You want to look for the grass court number. I suppose I should have looked that up as well because I'm sure that's going to get impressive. 95 and 18 and 84% win percentage. So those two are nuts. And obviously, given 84-84, his career is 83. The clay is going to be lower than that. But he's won 80% of his career matches on clay. He's 227 and 56. I'm not going to list all of the titles he's won uh, at the ATP level on clay, but you look in his career in terms of the total amounts of finals he's made at the Masters level. I guess I can just filter it all out at this point. Novak Djokovic in his career, 17 Masters uh, finals on clay. He's 10 and 7 in those 17 finals. He's beaten Rafa on four different occasions. He's also beaten Federer, Murray, Wawrinka, Tsitsipas, and then Schwartzman last year in Rome. I mean, I'm not saying he's underrated because it's impossible to say Novak Djokovic is underrated in anything. But it's just worth remembering in terms of the all-time greats on clay. The only reason Novak Djokovic – you know, Novak Djokovic is probably the second best player in men's tennis history on a clay court. If you're going to say, well, what about Bjorn Borg or like what about some of those really early open era guys – I'm not going to argue, like, I'm not, in the, that, that's not what I'm trying, in the modern era, in the post-2000 tennis, like, unequivocally, Novak Djokovic is number two, and I would argue, even dating back before that, it's just he's had this pesky problem, this guy by the name of Rafael Nadal, or an informed Stan Wawrinka here, or an Andy Murray there, who you know, have knocked him out late in a clay court event. But this guy is probably the second best player on clay courts in history. And it's because he's one of the few people who can play successful clay court tennis even when put on his back foot. And you look for uh for Djokovic and, you know, in his match today against Yannick Sinner, I mean he was just so good in the outer thirds of the court. Some of the backhands down the line he hit when he was stretched Outside of the alley, you're just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Novak Djokovic is the freak of all freak athletes, and you know you look for Novak Djokovic uh, in his career. What he's done so well on the clay courts is he's broken serve at an even higher rate than he does on the other surfaces. He's for his career, I believe, like a thirty-three percent break uh, break uh, of serve percentage. He's at thirty-five point four in his career matches on clay and he just did such a good job against Yannick Sinner serve of getting the point back to neutral and of course it was interesting because Yannick Sinner opened the match with a break and I, I promise I know that was a long tangent on Djokovic to start I, that's, I feel like I don't appreciate his greatness frequently enough on this podcast appreciate any of the big three's greatness and again why I opened up with that is because I'm not trying to not appreciate their greatness it's just what am I going to tell you on a daily basis that you don't already know about them anyways Yannick Yannick Sonic Sinner is a guy who's going to play explosive tennis, and Djokovic is someone who plays with his food, who takes three, four, five games to work his way into a match, who may go up an early break to love, but then may drop four games in a row, or is known to You know, play a loose early service game, or perhaps he's going for some shots early, just trying to find his range. A couple of plus one errors pile up, and that's exactly what happened to him against Yannick Sinner today, who came out swinging, as you need to do when you're playing Novak Djokovic. And of course, for Yannick Sinner, still so early, excuse me, in his clay court career, but he was a guy who made the quarterfinals of the French Open last season. And you look. For Yannick Sinner, who, by the way, his total career, he's still played fewer than 200 matches. He's at 167 thus far. You look at the ATP level, he's only played 67 total matches on clay. He's played under 20. He's 11-8 and eight in his career at the ATP level on clay court matches. Again, that includes a Roland Garros quarterfinal last year. It was a three-set loss to Dimitrov in the Rome Masters round of 16. Prior to that, round of 16 loss to Laszlo Giray at kit in, in kittsbuba Jure one of the more undervalued clay court players on tour right now. The point being you know Rixson are still trying to find his range and I think you know, he's so used to being able to hit through every court he plays on and every opponent he plays against. And, you know, Novak Djokovic started responding, uh, you know, after going down an early break, breaks him right back to get back on serve four, one, two, and just continued to find answers throughout the course of the first set. He worked in the drop shot so frequently and with such success. And it's because Sinner did end up playing three, four, five feet behind the baseline, just wanted to get clean rips at the ball, trying to, you know, keep moving Djokovic side to side. And he did do a good job of moving Djokovic side to side, but he just ultimately could not hit through these courts. And, you know, Djokovic would either hit the big backhand down the center of the court to just get things back to neutral. And then from there, take control of the rally or, you know, for Djokovic, he did such a good job as he always does of changing direction, not letting Yannick Sinner set his feet, not letting Yannick Sinner camp on one side of the court. Because if you let Yannick Sinner get a clean rip on the ball as he did on many different occasions in this match, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, he's still going to be able to hit a winner, but for Sinner, you know, the concerning thing, yes, it's against Djokovic, but he was 36 of 73 overall on his service points, so he only won 49% of his points on serve in this match, and again, that's a testament to Djokovic's ability to get the point back to neutral with his return of serve. It does feel particularly effective on clay, just given the depth of his return, but But, I mean, the the big thing for Djokovic today, the first serve—you know, he was landing a high number of first serves. He was moving extraordinarily well around the court. Physically, he seemed locked in. The drop shot, again, was working for him. He, you know, uh, gets—he goes up 5-3, serves for that—what was it? The first set gets broken by Sinner 4-4-5, but then breaks Sinner right back to close out the 6-4 set— kind of coast gets the early break coast in that second set six two he just he was a notch above Yannick Sinner and Yannick Sinner has been one I mean he's top 20 in the world now but he really has been a top 15 maybe even top 10 player here by ELO rating at tennis abstract he's a top 10 guy over these past 52 weeks and Djokovic was still just on another planet than him so for Novak Djokovic he looked fully in command moved the ball around the court so well you know, he's got another deep run in Monte Carlo with him, and he enters the clay court season and just, uh, I mean, he's 10-0 and 0 now. It's another 10-0 start. I think it's like the sixth time in his career he's won his first 10 matches to start a season, and I know 10's not a huge number, but that's crazy. It's a testament to how consistently excellent Novak Djokovic is. Just another notch in his record book belt. Djokovic, with the victory over Yannick Sinner, he advances to the round of 16 where now. He's going to take on Dan Evans as Dan Evans, a straight set victory over Hoopy Hercats. We'll get back to that momentarily. I do want to talk about the Rafael Nadal match quickly. There's not much you can learn from a first round Rafael Nadal match on clay. I don't think he's lost. I I want to see, can I look that up? How many matches has Rafael Nadal lost on clay? I think I can look that up on tennis abstract. I'm going to try and click and talk as I do that, but look, Bonus, lefty always going to be have solid results on clay. He made a bunch of challenger runs on the clay courts at the end of last season. Uh you know, he's a guy who has made a bunch of deep runs at ATP levels on clay courts throughout his career, but you know, does he have a weapon to hurt Rafael Nadal? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is probably no and watching Nadal today and it's a one and two victory for him over the qualifier Delbonis. I mean, Nadal Let's see. He won, uh, made 64% of his first serves, won 73% of those points, 58% of his second serve points, uh, saved four of the five break points he faced, converted five of the 11 break point chances he had, won 57% of his return points in total. He was just in control of every rally in this match, and what makes Nadal so effective on clay is that he always has you on your back foot. His ability to move the ball around, and on that forehand wing, we all know the pattern. He's going to go, you know... Out, uh, inside out to try and bait you to attack his on the run forehand. Then he's going to go cross court, cross court down the line, inside out, inside in. You just you know what he's going to do, and he's so effective with it. Continues to look better and better as a volleyer. He was dominant today, and you look for Rafael Nadal now, nineteen and five in his last fifty-two. Yeah, I mean. He's Rafa freaking the doll, and you look. Let's see all ATP level matches time span his career. He has played far too many matches, so it's going to take the tennis abstract machine a hot second. He's played over twelve hundred matches in his career. You look on clay specifically, Rafa. This is ridiculous. He's four hundred forty-six and forty. He has been playing ATP level clay court matches since two thousand two. So it's been 19 years of matches he's only lost 40 times at the ATP level on clay courts. That's that's your stat of the day folks. That's freaking ridiculous. It's a 92% win percentage. You look for him, let's see, Rafael Nadal round Round of 128 is only happens at French Opens. Let's see, round of 64. The last time, nope, Rafael Nadal, 24-0 in round of 64 matches on clay. Let's look, round of 32. He's 95-3 and in round of 32 matches. Here are the three losses. He lost to Alex Corcia, round of 32. Barcelona, 2003, he was 17, or 16 years old at the time. He lost to Fernando Gonzalez, Stuttgart, round of 32. 2003, he was uh, also, again, 17 years old at the time, and then he lost to Juan Carlos Ferrero, 2008, round of 32, uh, that was a 5-1 and match, again, 2008, he was 22 years old, or 21 years old at the time, you're going to say, what about the Granolars match he pulled out of the French Open back in 2016, that doesn't count, his last actual loss in a round of 32 match, unfreaking believable to think, again, that it was uh, all the way back in Rome 2008. But yeah, Rafa doesn't lose first-round matches. It's not even worth gambling on him because his odds are always minus 1,500 or higher but that's about as sure of a bet as you're going to get in yeah, He rocked and rolled into the next round, into, I should say, well, is this his round of 16 match? Let me see here. Is this considered for rough? No, this was his round of 32 match, so now he rolls into the round of 16. In terms of the top eight seeds, only one of them upset on the day, and, you know, degrees of upset. I would say Yes, this is an upset considering Diego Schwartzman made semifinals French Open last year, made that deep run at the Rome Masters as well. But he loses to a guy in Casper Rude who we have circled here and talked about repeatedly. He's a guy who's going to have runs here during the clay court season. You look for Rude currently ranked. I want to say, uh, let's see, Casper Rude right now in the live rankings. He is currently at number twenty six. Two off of the career high of number 24 for the 22 year old. You look for him in his career now. Casper Rood, 128 and 75 uh, in his career on clay court matches, 49 and 26 in his career on clay court matches at the ATP level. So that's, you know, a 65% win percentage for him in clay court ATP level matches compared to a 38% win percentage for him in hard court matches. And, you know, the big thing, he's a guy with a big forehand backswing, and he hits a heavy forehand. That forehand absolutely explodes through these clay courts. It's not quite Rafa, obviously. It's disingenuous to compare anyone to Rafa, but it's that sort of forehand where he just has his opponent on his back foot where he can get his weight behind the ball. He does such a good job of changing direction with that shot inside in, inside out, short angle, down the line, playing defense on the run. He can do everything with that forehand wing, Uh, and, you know, the thing is, on a hard court, a big serve to that wing. He's probably got to hit a slice return on clay. That's not the case. And you look for his returning numbers in ATP level matches. He wins 33.9% of his return points on hard courts, 38.5% of them on clay courts. He breaks 17% of the time on hard courts. He breaks 27% of the time on clay courts. And obviously total points won 49% on hard courts, 52% on clay courts in his matches. Uh, just that additional moment of time affords him a little bit extra uh that extra half second to have the bigger backswing and I think his ability into particular today against Schwartzman he did a really good job of elevating his backhand over the net focusing more on depth than pace and just getting that ball high on the body of Diego Schwartzman and Schwartzman didn't have a weapon to hurt him today and that's a testament to how well uh rude moves on the surface slides into his shots can change directions and you know it's comfortable hitting the big kick serve out wide on the ad but also hitting the big slice serve on the deuce and when you can play to the outside corners on your serve on a clay court you just have so much open space and you know if you play to that open space the returner's got to run completely across the court and then that next shot it's not just a plus one ball it's really plus two shot because then you know you have things open to you you can hit behind your opponent. You can hit to the open space again and make them hit two ridiculous passing shots. It's just Ruud knows how to open up space for himself so well on the court and And clay courts are where that sort of game style thrives. He's, again, got that sort of forehand to work through the court as well. The backhand's far more than a placeholder. He can do a lot of different things with it. Made a ton of returns in play today. Again, Schwartzman didn't really have a big weapon to hurt him with and, as such, started forcing things from the baseline. The unforced errors started to pile up. Rude only faced one break point on the day uh, and he was able to save it. So a fantastic performance from the 22-year-old. Again, justified. Advancing here to the round of 16 in Monte Carlo, and that shouldn't shock anyone. Considering, and I said this before, but last year his clay court results, he made finals in, or he won the title in Buenos Aires, made the final in Santiago before the pandemic. He then goes Rome semifinals, Hamburg semifinals, Roland Garros third round losses to Djokovic, Rublev, and team respectively. Yeah, this is a guy who's going to make noise. And I know Schwartzman was, again, is certainly still someone to circle this clay court season. I'm not worried about Diego Schwartzman, But this confirms my belief that Kasparud is not to be trifled with and is not a guy you want to see uh, in the draw here throughout the clay court season. And just quickly, by, via uh, Tennis Abstracts, clay court, Elo, Kasparud, let's see, 2, 4, 6, 8... 10, 12, 13, the number 14 player in the world by Clay Court ELO rating, which again measures who you're playing on Clay Court specifically as opposed to uh, a, a top 30 player via his ATP ranking. But, you know, again, that's the only top eight seed to be knocked off. Kasparu taking out Diego Schwartzman. In terms of your other top seeds, we, we try to avoid talking about him. I'm telling you, don't be surprised if Alex Zverev pencil him into the quarterfinals of Roland Garros right now. It's just, you know, Lorenzo Senego has looked so good, and his, the reason he's looked so good, his ability to play plus one tennis, and when he takes control of points, you're at his mercy, because he'll go big down the line, go big cross-court, mix in the drop shot, move forward, but Zverev didn't allow him to do that, because Zverev neutralized his biggest strength, his serve, he took that away from him, didn't allow Sonego to play plus one ball, and you know Zverev protected his serve well today, three three victory for him Rublev crushed Caruso Andre Rublev clay might sneakily be the surface I like him most on just because his movement continues to get better and better and to hit the ball that heavy that powerfully with that depth on clay courts it's just a nightmare to deal with and so straight set victory for him really nice victory for Robbie bats three and four over Tommy Paul two early breaks and then held on to those breaks in both sets I thought Tommy played really well. Again, this this result has more to do with how informed Roberto Bautista Agut is right now. Tommy's going to make some noise here. He's going to get a sneaky victory, make a quarterfinal, semifinal run at one of these clay court events. Unfortunately, it's just not going to be this week. Robbie Bat's locked in physically, locked in mentally. The game looks great as well. He advances in straight sets. Some other guys who have continued their good form of late excuse me I'm so excited about this tennis uh, Pablo Crenobusta title winner last week doesn't seem phased physically two and three victory for him over Karen Hatchinoff Christian Guerin follows up a great victory over Felix Ogier Ali with a dominant 6-1-6-4 victory over John Millman. You also had a nice follow-up performance from Grigor Dimitrov today. Beats Struff round one. Beats Jeremy D round two. Your other winners go Fenn. Foreign love over Marco Cecchinato. Fabio Fognini continues to look good here. He's defending championship points, folks. I'm going to mention that all week because if you see an inspired and locked-in Fabio Fognini, that's always a dangerous one. Don't be surprised if that's the case this week. Straight set victory for him over Jordan Thompson. You also had Karajinovic, straight set win over Juan Ignacio Landero. Luca Pui, best win for him since he's returned to the tours. dealt was so many injuries over the past 15, really 24 months, but three-set win over a very much in-form Alexi Popperin for him to advance to the round of 16. The only other match I've yet to mention, Dan Evans, 4-1 over Hubi Hercats, uh, I mean, Evans was just throwing junk at him. All match, backhand slice, going in, you know, forcing Hurkouts to play on his back foot. And Herkets just didn't have the answers today. He looked uncomfortable. You know, uh, you look for the match. He was only winning like 52 percent of his first ser- uh, of his serving points. He was se- he only won seven points uh, on his return in the match, and that's a testament to Dan Evans, who was 31 of 39 on first serves, 28 of 31 on first serve points. I mean, that's just high percentage tennis. Evans served well, didn't give Herkets many chances to attack, and just kept him off balance. And again, this win had has more to do with Dan Evans playing really well this week, in my opinion, than it did with Hoopie Herkats. but certainly that's a concerning number that Hoopy lost. Nine, you know, you should never win only seven points on your return in any match you're playing, unless you're, I guess, playing the primest of primes, like Isner, uh, who's just on a grass court and not missing anything. Certainly on a clay court to win only seven return points, uh, that's a little bit scary if you're hoopy Hercats, but credit to Dan Evans, who had the goods today, and he is Advances to the round of 16. That was your Wednesday action in Monte Carlo in terms of what we've got scheduled on Thursday. Round of 16 matches galore, all eight on the docket. I'll read through them now. I don't want to preview. You know, if I preview all of them again, this podcast will go back to back. The fact that I went over an hour yesterday was truly shocking. Super producer Danny Westoff was like, Really? Like, you talked for an hour straight by yourself. And then he looked at me and was like, Actually, that's not surprising at all. Anyways, you look at the matchups up and down the board, there's not a single one I'm not excited for. I mean,. Let's start at the top. Tsitsipas-Christian Guerin, that could be a round of 16 match at the French Open. Maybe even a quarterfinal match, depending on how the draws break. Guerin's got the big serve, the big forehand to hit into the Tsitsipas backhand, give him troubles. But pass moves really well on the clay courts. And again, I mentioned this stat yesterday. His ability to play five foot, you know, five, six feet back on his return of serve, take a more defensive posture, allows him more time to swing through his backhand return and, you know, neutralizes the weapon of the serve, attacking that backhand. That said, if he offers space, if he offers balls in the center, Christian Guerin moves the ball around the court so well. That forehand, absolutely a weapon, that backhand stays low on these clay courts. Courts. He'll throw slices into your body. He'll throw big kick serves out wide. And, you know, he's one, you know, him, him, who, it's the five-title club. There are 10 guys under the age of 30 on the ATP Tour with five titles, uh, with, excuse me, with uh, at least five titles. Tsitsipas and Guerin both on that list. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, folks. If Tsitsipas handles him with ease, now he starts joining the conversation of, oh, man, that's a guy who could win the French Open. If Guerin beats Tsitsipas, then expect every person you know to say, I think Christian Guerin can make the round of 16 of the French open and try and pass that off as like some sort of sleeper take when in fact that's not a sleeper take mathematically if you watch you know via the stats, or if you watch tennis every week, that's something that could very much happen, all depending on how the draw breaks out. But that's definitely the match of the day. Djokovic-Evans is going to be fun, although, again, on a clay court, you definitely favor Djokovic in that one. Nadal-Dimitrov, sort of a worst-case scenario matchup for Dimitrov, particularly given the surface. Andre Rublev versus Robbie Batts is going to be fun. We've seen them battle so many times on hard courts, it feels like, of late. On the clay, you probably like Rublev Rublev that much more just because he'll have that extra half second of time and it's a little bit difficult for RBA to hit through a clay court. Rublev will hit through any court with that sort of forehand. Plus, he's been so successful on clay uh, over the past 52 weeks. He's been successful in everything he's done. But yeah, it's a physical test and that should be a really fun match. No secrets between those two at this point. In terms of your matches not happening on center court, still a uh, fantastic Set You know, Davidovich Fokina going to take on Luka Pui. That match promises to be athletic. How much does Pui have left in the tank after a rough physical three-setter today against Paparin? Davidovich Fokina, not a guy you want to play when you have dead legs because he's going to make you frustrated mentally. And, of course, once you start getting frustrated physically, you start to go away. Anyways, that should be a fun one. I would lean Davidovich Fokina there. Zverev Gofen going to be pretty tennis. Uh, Krajinovic Fonini, a little less pretty. Still going to be fun. And then Kasparud, Pablo Carreno Busta Give me two and a half hours in that match It's going to get physical It's going to get fun Should be a spectacular Thursday In Monte Carlo Hey Cracked fans As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, GammaSports.com tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you gamma string users will enjoy and even if you're not using gamma strings maybe now's the time to start but they've also got polyesters everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint all in one location just go to gammasports.com/tennis right now use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order again gammasports.com/tennis use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order Let's talk now about the action we saw Wednesday in Charleston. Only four singles matches to recap. First half of our round of 16 in the books – Want to start with Clara Tawson, the former world junior number one, whose big breakthrough result at the WTA level happened last year at the French Open. She came through qualifying, knocked off Jennifer Brady, 9 7 in the third set, before losing to Danielle Collins. She then goes on to win a first WTA level title earlier this season in Lyon. Up. To number 101, currently in the rankings, cracked the top 100 earlier in March for the first time in her career. She earns one of the victories, I would say, of her early career as she knocks off Alia Tamjanovic 6 6-4 today to advance to the quarterfinals in Charleston. Crazy to think, given how much success she has had, and she's 43-10 over her last 52 weeks. You look for Tossin now since the start of the 2020 season she's made five finals won all five of them so five different titles four of them at the ITF level obviously one of them happening on the indoor hardcourt she's also won titles on hardcourts carpets uh, carpet and clay uh, I mentioned that 43 and 10 result the uh, 43 and 10 over her last 52 weeks despite all of that success you know in her career she still only played five WTA level matches and uh, I believe or excuse me, during her career, she still only played uh, seven WTA level matches. She's seventeen and six in those WTA level matches in clay specifically. She's now eight and three in her career and. I mean, you just look overall in her career, regardless of the level of play she's had. She's won 15 and 31. She's won 79% of her matches to start her career. And, you know, the success has translated across surface. She's just got firepower that can hit through any court. And today against Tom Janovich in the first set, she came out firing. And in particular, if you haven't seen Clara Tosson play, her backhand down the, line, down the line, it's not good. It's not great. It's elite. And it's elite already. And she hit three down-the-line backhand winners in the very first game of the match to sort of set the tone. And she just took it to Tomjanovic, who's a fantastic litmus test of what it takes to be a top 50 player in the women's game right now. Tomjanovic moves really well. She's solid off of both wings. She can turn defense into offense. She can absorb and redirect pace. Can't manufacture as much pace as a Clara Tawson, but she's going to make you work. And she took a 4-1 break of serve lead in the second set. But, I mean, if you give Clara Tawson a clean look at the ball, more likely than not, she's going to hit a winner or put herself in a winning position within the point. And on these clay courts, and she's got a big forehand backswing and an extreme grip, but on these clay courts, she has an extra half second and allows her to turn into that ball. She can go down the line, cross court, short angle. She can throw it 20 feet in the air to play a little defense, buy herself some time to reset her feet in the center of the court. She's just an absolute stud. And I mean, she puts a ton of returns in the court. She can make them, you know, she plays aggressively with them as well. She just, she took it to Tom Janovich. Tom Janovich. didn't have big enough weapons to hit Tawson off of her spot. And I will continue to say the biggest concern for Tawson right now is when you can get her on her back foot, she's not as good at, at defense as she is on offense. She's not as good when she's on her back foot, but the moment you hit her back, a ball in the center, she's going to turn that defense into offense. She's going to take control of the point. That's what she did against Tamjanovic. And I mean, you look for Alia Tamjanovic right now, 27 years old in May, number 77 in the world, but has been a top 50 player for a few years now. You know, she's played some pretty good ball as well of late, and yet she just didn't have weapons big enough to hit Tawson off of her spot. This speaks to, again, between Tawson and, uh, you know, uh, Maria surrounding Campos and just all of the players you see right now within the women's game just continuing week in, week out to make these rises. It was uh, – who was it? Fruvertova yesterday, the 15-year-old. I mean – it's crazy. And Clara Tawson belongs not just on that list, but probably near the top of the list. You look for her now. She's back into, I believe, uh, in the live rankings, back up to a new career high of number 96 with this quarterfinal here with a win tomorrow. She'll be up into a new career high inside the top, I believe, 90 of the WTA rankings. She's the sixth highest player in the world, uh, a ranked player in the world under the age of 20, under the age of 19. She's the third, uh, excuse me, fourth highest ranked player. It goes Goff at 35, Fernandez 72, Kostjuk 85, and then Tossen 96. And it feels like we've just begun to scratch the surface. Of her potential, of her talent as well. Fantastic result for Clara Tosson here today. Saved nine of the 10 break points she faced, was, you know, won 66% of her first serves, uh, 55% of her second serve points, actually won over 50% of Alia Tamjanovic's first serve points, and won 48% of her return points in total. She was just, the, again, the aggressor. She went down that early break in the second set, was down 4-1, could have very easily thrown that set away, but got the break back for, uh, you know, holds a tricky hold for her, but ends up holding 4-2-4, gets the break back after facing a break point for, I think, 3-4 or 4-all, and then, you know, face some break points herself, serve, trying to serve out the match, up 5-4, but just swings through her issues and plays on her terms. And for an 18-year-old, there could be no more Exciting trait to see. So, a fantastic result for Claritas, and she's into another WTA level quarterfinal. In terms of the other result, I want to break down quickly from Charleston. Shelby Rogers, who I said at the beginning of the week, should shock no one if you see Rogers go on to win this event in Charleston. It was a 2-2 two and two victory for her over Claire Lou. Her pace, her power just kind of overwhelmed Lou in particular the Lou forehand. It just, you know, and on Clay, that's where Lou's. she's got a little hitch in her forehand, but that's usually where she plays her best tennis, and she did play really well today. There were some long, extended rallies in this match, but just that heavy tennis. Top spin that plus one power for Shelby Rogers a little bit too much in the end, but. I made this point earlier. I just want to reiterate it. For her career, Shelby Rogers, overall, and we'll just go in total, she is 213 and 187, so she's won 53% of her matches in her career. On hard court. she's 135 and 111. That's a 55% win percentage. On clay, she's sneaky good as well. 70 and 61, that's a 53% win percentage. You want to do it in WTA-level events only. She's 36 and 32, but you look for her now over the past few uh, results. Uh, you know, last week in Charleston, she beats Mladenovic. She beats Anisa Mova before losing to three in Barty here. She's beaten McNally and Lou. Going to have a tough test tomorrow physically against Dunka Kavinich, who of course was a finalist last week back into the quarterfinals now as she earned a uh, three-set win today in a physical match over Lauren Davis. But I just... Shelby's power just works, regardless of court and I've mentioned this for the men. you know, it applies again here. Uh, it's really hard to play scrambling on your back foot, tennis on a clay court. and Shelby Rogers forces you to play on your back foot. She's gonna go for her shots and days she some days she misses. Some days, you know, the range is a little bit off. but of late, I mentioned it, twenty four and eleven since the tour restarted in August. She's a top forty player, maybe even higher than that, and does have the sort of firepower to compete with anyone on her best day. Fantastic performance for her, two and two. She just a two and two win over Claire Liu is the win uh, is the is the form and the sort of victory you get when you're a top fifty, top forty even player. So a great result for her to advance to the quarterfinals. I mentioned Danka Kvinich. she continues to roll in Charleston. 6-1, 1-6, 6-3 victory for her over Lauren Davis. And then now Habino a 6-4, 6-3 victory over former Ohio State All-American Francesco Di Lorenzo to advance to the quarterfinals. In terms of the matches we're going to have tomorrow in Charleston, it's going to be all, I believe, your other half of the round of 16. You've got Christina McHale taking on Maria Camila Osorio Serrano, Bogota champion, 2019 junior U.S. Open champion, former world junior, number one, who's just already knocked out what no? it was the number two seed here this week, Magda Lynette. So she's going to look to continue her run on Shabur, your number one seed, taking on Alicia Parks. You've also got Madison Brangle versus Astra Sharma. Emma Navarro in the nightcap, taking on Linda Fruvertova. promises to be a fun day of action in Charleston. I Also, I mentioned those are are your two ATP and WTA-level events happening this week. I want to talk quickly now here about some of the action we saw at the Challenger level. And again, to hear a complete Challenger recap, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. David Gertler joins me. I don't want to step on that podcast completely, but I do want to talk about Brandon Nakashima the talented young American making the decision this week to go and play the red, court, uh, red clay challengers in Europe as opposed to staying comfortable in America going down to Orlando where he certainly would have gotten into the draw and would have had the chance to play that event but you look for Brandon Nakashima in his young career and for the 19 year old already up to number 142 in the rankings has had so much success over his last 52 weeks and really since he entered the pro circuit coming off of his one season at the University of Virginia in twenty nineteen. You look for him in twenty twenty. He goes twenty-eight and fourteen overall during that twenty twenty season he ends up winning the first challenger of his career to end the year in Orlando, right? So makes the decision for him to not play that event even more pressing because he's already been there, done that. Or I suppose more surprising because he's had success there. So why not go rack up another challenger success? But you know, he won another challenger title earlier this Year indoors uh, at the end of January. So we know what he can do on hard courts. He's had success repeatedly at the challenger level. You look for Nakashima in his career, and again, he's only 19 years old. He's 41 and 16 in challenger level matches on hard court. That's a 72% win percentage. That's a guy who's probably ready to start sniffing around the ATP level on hard courts, but you look for his career on clay. A lot more intrigue, a lot more mystery surrounding those results. He's six and five in his career, regardless of level of play. On clay now all of those matches have come at the challenger level or higher and you look for him they 've all actually come since the uh, since last fall 2020 the first fall he played a fall of clay court matches but you know his his victories he's gotten here in Belgrade only the third uh, only the second time in his career excuse me he's won uh, multiple matches at a clay court event and the first time in his career he's advanced past the first round uh, past the second round excuse me of a clay court event, yeah, this is Brandon Nakashima's first quarterfinal on clay of his career at the professional level, and you know he worked Hugo Delian today. And I'm going to say it, I was wrong. I thought Brandon might struggle with his movement on clay. He didn't. He looked fluid, and you know, much like Casper and you know, I I talked about these guys and these girls earlier. His ability to move the ball around the court, to go down the line, cross court, down the line, cross court, just to hit the ball where you're not, it's an invaluable skill on clay courts. And you watch him, he looks stronger. He looks faster. He was hitting that ball, that forehand with a little more oomph in his match today. Again, a 2-2 two and two victory over Hugo Delian, who did not play his best tennis, but you know, Brandon's backhand's never going to struggle. You watch it for two seconds, so fluid, the drive, the pace, the depth, uh, just everything on that wing. He can hit all the shots, but his ability to really hit through, in particular for me, was the inside-in forehand that he used as a weapon today to keep Delian honest to attack that wing. Uh it, it hit through the court, and it's still not, you know, it'll still sit up a little bit, and I do wonder against a big server, how do his, a big hitter, how do his ground strokes hold up, but you know, as I mentioned with Kasparud, he's plenty. Nakashima will hit that big slicer to out wide, and then play the plus one ball to the open court on the ad side. He'll hit the big kick serve out wide, and then play the plus one ball to the open court. He'll also hit big down the tee. He'll hit big kicks. He'll hit flat into your body. He'll, you know, he's he's looking better and better as a volleyer as well. I'm just so impressed by his continued development, by his decision making. I love the fact that he went and challenged himself, got out of his comfort. Zone. Zone, and that decision's paying dividends now as he earns again his first quarter final in his professional career on clay. That was the big thing I wanted to touch on, just I suppose if you want to hear your round of 16 winners thus far in Belgrade, Kovalik, Liam Brody, Blaz Rola, the former Ohio State NCAA singles champion who was a title winner last week, we talk about extensively in the Great Shot podcast, you also have Nakashima, Daniel, Zumher, Bagnis, Carbeas-Bainia, uh you've got, uh, you, uh, excuse me, carbeas yet yeah, Bagnis, Zumher, Daniel, uh, and Nakashima, not Trungoletti, Trungaletti, unfortunately lost his match to Carbe Hispania. But those were your winners in Belgrade. Uh, in terms of the action happening elsewhere on the Challenger Tour, we have the return of Mike Cation, of course. Ooh, by the way, a shout out to Liam Brody, who's now 33-14 and 14 in his last 52 weeks. We talk about him extensively on the podcast as well. He's clearly playing the best tennis of his career. If it's going to happen for Liam Brody, it's going to happen right now. Uh, but that's your action in Belgrade in terms of tomorrow. We've got quarterfinals. You've got Carbe Hispania versus Rolla. Daniel vs. Zoomer, Brody vs. Nakashima and Kovalik vs. Bagnus. and by the way I kind of love that matchup for Nakashima so he may end up making his first semifinal uh, at the cha- uh, at the professional level on clay this week as well that's one to watch certainly throughout the day but going to rapid fire through Orlando we only had four singles results on the day Braden Schnur knocks off an inform Bjorn for 6-3-7-6 these courts are playing fast in Orlando and Schnur, big serve, big forehand, comfortable moving forward. He has taken advantage of the conditions. Young American wildcard Zane Khan, who you know still very early in his career, Khan only eighteen or just turned nineteen years old. Currently number six fifteen in the world, but advances to his first quarterfinal at the challenger level. He's knocked off Kevin King and now number two seed Yatsuta, uh, Yasutaka Uchiyama seven six seven six for Khan twenty one in nine in his last fifty two weeks. You look at what accomplishments he's achieved during that time. He's won th- uh, two futures titles and made a Another future final all during the month of March you watch him play for two seconds ball absolutely explodes off of his racket I tweeted about him in the last challenger in Orlando last year and you look for him now I think he's like two and six in or excuse me three and five in his challenger matches in his career has only played eight of them and it's still so early but he's got the firepower and that's half the you know that's half the battle. Do you have the weapons to someday make it? You can learn how to play tennis, but do you have the actual physical skill set to make it as a tennis player? The answer for Young Zane Khan is yes. And again, I want to see more, but I'm very intrigued because it only takes three seconds to see how much talent that guy has. I would also feel the same way about Jensen Brooksby, who just continues to rock and roll. Jensen now into another challenger quarterfinal as he knocks off an in-form L2, Celik Belik, three and one. He's now... Fourteen and seven in his career in challenger matches, but eleven and two so far this season. It's gone first round loss to Chem Ickle uh in South Africa, but he followed he got his revenge by beating Ickle in the quarterfinals next week on, on the next week on his run to his first challenger title in South Africa, then makes the final in Cleveland. Now quarterfinals here in Orlando. Hasn't dropped the set yet this week. He's, you know, making sixty five percent of his first serves as he always does, playing high percentage tennis putting so many balls in the court. Uh, He's a stud, and he continues to rock and roll. He advances. Then Roberto Sid, similarly, such a tough out physically. Six and two victory for him over number four seed Tiago Sapeth-Vild to advance to the quarterfinals. Tomorrow in Orlando, you get the second half of the round of 16. Kovacevic going to take on Christian Harrison, Dennis Kudla. Taking on Tim Van Richeven, big server. Uh, Big server and Chris Eubanks. Going to take on Michael Moe. And then Pranesh Gunaswaran taking on Jack Sock. Tons of fun doubles action, by the way throughout the day in Orlando. So at some point, be sure to go check out the the broadcast, Mike Cation and the crew, best in the business. So certainly we all can enjoy that. Speaking of Cem Ilkol, by the way, he advanced to the quarterfinals today of the challenger in Croatia this week, 7-6 in the third win over number three seed Hugo Gaston. Your other winners in Croatia advancing to the quarterfinals, Matthias Borg, Elias Emer, and then Tanasi Kokonakis, who now, I believe that's back-to-back quarterfinals for him on these clay court challengers in Croatia. Last week, he got wins over Horansky and the week before's winner Zdenek Kolar before losing to Kasper Zuk. This week, it's wins over Adjukovic and Horansky again uh, to reach the quarterfinal. Quietly, Tanasi Kakanakis in his career, 13 and 4. In Clay Court Challenger events, I made this exact – you know what? We talk about him in the Challenger podcast, so I'm going to leave all of the rest of the fun facts. That's what we in the business call a tease, folks. But always worth noting his performances. He advanced because we know he – if healthy – he belongs in the top 60, maybe top 50 of the ATP rankings. His serve, his forehand, his ability to just find ways to win matches, his competitive spirit. I know that's a non-quantifiable thing, but it exists for Kokonakis. Uh, We just hope he can be healthy, because if so, he'll work his way back into the top 50 of the ATP rankings. But, Tomorrow's the second half of the round of 16, and boy, do I like these matches. Casper Zouk taking on Max Martyr, Pedro Cashin taking on Quentin Halice. Cashin, your winner last week over Nuno Borges at the Portugal uh, Challenger. Vukic taking on Zdenek Kolar, and then Mirza Basic taking on Andrea Colarini. So it should be a very fun day of tennis on Thursday. Of course, again, I just went through a Challenger section, just plugged in a million times. If you want to hear more about the Challenger Tour action or perhaps you want to hear more about the college tennis world, you can hear about both of those topics on our Great Shot podcast feed. Chris Helioris and Matt Sekowiak joining me on Wednesday to talk college. And by the way, speaking of which, Thursday night... Chris Hallioris is going to be joining me as well for a webinar discussing all things ITA college rankings, the mechanics behind the formula, the mechanics behind CollegeTennisRanks.com, how it all works. That's a public forum open to coaches, players, listeners of this podcast. You can find more details in the links we've posted on social media or on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Also, Super excited for our final red zone broadcast of the season. We're going to be broadcasting both the men's and women's USC UCLA matches on Friday. Sunday, we get the Wolverines and the Buckeyes in a battle for the Big Ten title in their regular season finale. So be sure to check out uh, coverage Friday starts four fifteen PM Eastern time. Coverage Sunday, eleven forty five PM Eastern eleven forty five AM excuse me Eastern time. Uh, really excited for uh, these broadcasts, as it is really the home stretch of this 2021 college tennis season. So, hopefully, you all will join us. But again, if you need anything else to catch up on the tennis action happening in the tennis world, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to, uh, to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and everything we're doing here at Cracked Rackets. You need the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Pod. Shout out, as always. To our super producers Max Fleigner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to midwestsports.com. Use that promo code CR15. With that in mind, for our super producers Fleigner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin You know what we say? That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks everyone.